Welcome to DJ Grand Pod's Crip, the crowdfunding podcast. Each week I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, February 24th, 2014. During this week in history in 1928, Fats Domino was born in New Orleans. This cat, believe it or not, began playing professionally when he was only 10 years old. Dude, happy birthday. Well, you can look as much, but if you much as such, you're gonna have yourself a case. I'm gonna break your face. So don't mess with my tutu. Don't mess with my tutu. Now you can have the other woman, but don't mess with my tutu. I wanted to create the first product from the environment for the environment. A product that would capture the efficiency, the nutrients, the purity, and the energy of these incredible places and deliver it to you. After four years, it's finally ready. We call it treason. It will change the way you look at bottled water forever. You've gotten some good press, mm-hmm. but I guess there's other guys that are like, oh, well, you know, we're not going to condone bottled water. Right. I don't even know how you can make that choice. What is that? Once America was hooked on having to pay for water outside of their homes, at the gas station, at the 7 everywhere, what is the alternative now? There isn't. That's why I think it's a crazy thing. I mean, it's totally insane to me that some of these environmental publications are like, you know, I mean, it's not going away. It's been 30 years of recycling. You know, nothing is really changing. If anything, the numbers are growing. The alternative is our bottle, which is plant-based. But the reason why these folks, they got their panties in a bunch, is because their whole approach is they live in places, like where I grew up, where they have the luxury of saying, okay, I'm not going to use bottled water. I'm going to use this uber little refillable canteen, and I'm going to go do my thing all day long. And that's their reality. Unfortunately, all the other folks don't have that reality. You believe that the people who are giving you the most problems as far as the environmental thing that you're still using bottles is that they have refillable ones and their water supply isn't tainted because they have a better quality of life because of the places they live. So they can just refill theirs from regular sources and most people cannot. Which is a difference. But you can't give somebody like me or somebody who's in a, you know, any other place where they can't drink the tap water or somebody who's in a developing country in Central or South America where they don't have access to water. It's not a solution, and that's the problem. It's a solution that works, and it's not really a solution. It's a choice that works for a very limited you know, minority of folks in the United States of America and around the world. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to give all the other folks a better choice that they can you know, still get great water and still do good stuff at the same time, but help kind of start to turn the tide on on the trash and put their bottles to good use. I saw that they had a city about three weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago, that their water table was polluted by a factory. And I guess FEMA, the government, they've been shipping in bottled water. There was a chemical spill there. Right. But now all the fracking stuff, I mean, it's part of the reason why you can't drink the water in Texas. Okay, well, what makes your bottled water different, man? Because that's the Basic question everybody's going to ask. First off, we are natural spring water, and because of the way that we filter it, we've got more of the nutrients and good stuff that's actually in spring water left in the water. Most of the water that you have is vapor distilled or purified that it goes through the tap, 
when they're cleaning it, they all call it pure. They call it these, they use these terms that are kind of crazy terms if you think about it, because if you think about pure, that means that it's coming right out of the hole where the water comes from. Right. But really what they do is they clean it. So they take out all the bad stuff. So it tastes okay to drink. And so it's clear. So it doesn't look all fuzzy. And then what you're left with is really something that unfortunately, when they take out the bad stuff, they also take out a lot of the good stuff. So you're left with this stuff that's kind of devoid of all those original natural nutrients and ingredients that natural spring water has. So our whole quest was to basically take it back to the source, to figure out how to give you that piece if you're actually sticking your hand in the spring and getting that natural spring water. So our process of purifying it actually is just like the rainforest does through the actual rainforest canopy. And then we also, in addition, add back a couple of the nutrients that are normally lost in purification and transport and other things. And in addition, we add in oxygen to give you some of that rainforest energy. The second part is that a lot of people don't have the option of drinking tap water. I mean, like me, I'm in Houston. There's guys up the road in Fort Worth that we talked about yesterday that you can put a match at the tap and it will catch fire right now. I mean, that's crazy. That's amazing, <laughs> man. I only hear good stuff about Texas, man. So I'm shocked at you telling me this story. It's not just Texas. I mean, this is happening all over the country. When you look at stuff, the majority of places across the country, you don't want to drink the water out of the tap. The places where you do, they're normally really affluent, nice, beautiful places. I saw in your video that it spoke of the majority of bottled water bottles were made, you know, said petroleum products and XYZ, harder to recycle. You talked about the garbage wastelands that I keep hearing that are on the oceans and stuff. Actually, to tell you the truth, man, I kind of ignore most of that stuff. Because when I hear, no, no, I mean, maybe it is the ostrich thing sticking your head in the sand, but those environmental reports are so horrible to listen to. It makes it sound as though we're in a country that's much worse off than I'd like to believe. Our bottle is made 100% plant-based. It's a different composition than everything else. So it's good for you as far as, you know, when you're drinking it, which is the other thing. But in addition, in case it ends up where it shouldn't, then it'll be okay. So when you're done with our bottle, you basically squish it down flat, you peel off the label, and you can stick it in any U.S. box across the country. You can return them in bulk, but they come back to us, and we use them to make clean energy. You spoke of if they didn't purify the water the, the way they do, you know, I almost feel like you were almost saying like pasteurization, even though that's for milk and stuff like that. But why is your water clear? Or is your water clear if you don't do the pasteurization and XYZ? Our water absolutely is clear, but it's because it's natural spring water. If you go and you look on the back of the majority of water bottles out there today, right? and you see where the water is coming from, you'll find that many of them are coming from municipal water sources, and they're just sticking it in a bottle. Right. And the other ones are actually vapor distilled. So that water could be coming from anywhere, and they've basically seamed it and gotten rid of all the stuff out of it. Okay. You can actually put water, and you can go to your tap, and if you have a dog, you can go and put tap water on the floor, put it in one bowl, and then go put natural spring water in the other and see which one fits. Or she 
and I guarantee you that your dog will pick the natural spring water every time. Are you saying that if I take your bottle of water on the right hand, okay, and Advani or whatever, Coca-Cola's brand of bottled water on the left hand, and I pour one in a dog bowl, and I pour yours in the other dog bowl, that my dog will choose yours hands down. I'm saying you pick your tap water, right? Okay. It comes out of the tap in your house. Right. You put it in the bowl on the left. Right. You put ours in the bowl on your right, and you let your dog decide, and they will naturally pick the one that is pure and just like the source which would be the natural spring water, which would be ours. A lot of people don't think about, okay, you know, I turn on the tap and water comes out of it. You just think, okay, I'm, you know, I'm happy the water is coming out and it's not coming out foggy or it's not coming out this way or that way. You know, they don't think about, okay, well, where did that water come from? We don't want to think about, <laughs> come on. That's a given. You have to think about that stuff in uh, order to understand what's going in you. Does this process make your water more expensive than the vapor distilled water? No, we're actually right in line with other comparable products. Is there anything that you feel I've cheated you out of, a question that I should have asked, that I didn't ask, something that you have to get out there before I wrap? Um, I mean, the only other part that I we didn't talk about is the tree. You know, the other thing with with the trees and, and maybe the app, the other thing with, with our product and what a lot of these guys don't kind of get is my goal was to make a system that actually was cradle to cradle and complete. We weren't just trying to give you the first option, which is you know a better option for bottled water, but I wanted to help have it actually help solve the bigger problem, which the bigger problem is that the natural water sources for these guys around the world, wherever we are, are being polluted. And ultimately, right. that's what you have to fix. You have to restore that stuff. You have to plant trees. You have to get rid of the trash. You have to get rid of the pollutants. You have to start to value and care about the environment and rebuild those places so that everybody can actually start to get that water because that's the perfect solution. I mean, that's ultimately, you know, before the bottled water, before all these, this other stuff is to bring back that component as close as possible. And that's why we plant one tree for every bottle because we want to help give back and actually get rid of this cycle that is a cycle that is kind of creating the issues. So we developed this app which shows you it all. So when you're done with your bottle, you peel off the label, you scan it with your phone, it's registered in, you can actually track it back to us, you can see how much energy you help create, and then once you've done that, you can pull down a tree that you help plant you can put your name on it. You'll get a picture of it. You'll get the GPS coordinate. And in three months, you'll get an update. And you can actually watch it grow. You can see it all on your phone, which to me is, you know, ultimately all these different things. It's like you got to be able to see, okay, show me the proof. My last question. <laughs> Does this water, because <laughs> I, I go to my grandma's house, right? I remember these men going to my grandma's house and they have well water. And I drink their water and she's like, DJ Grandpa is over at Grandma's. <laughs> right, 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 right. This is this is before I was DJ Grandpa. I was like, I was like, Grandma, this is the best water I've ever. I love water. It's my number one favorite drink. I love water. Now, on the flip side, I've gone into stores like Seven Eleven and stuff like that, and I've gotten water where they say it's flavored or something. It's the worst tasting stuff in the world, man. Horrible. 
does your water taste like water now? Not flavored or anything. You stick it up, you drink it, I guarantee you it won't go back. And for anyone out there, you've gotten an earful. Carlton's told you a lot. I've been a little ornery towards Carlton, but there, there was no malice involved at all. <laughs> <laughs> it was all good. It was all good. You got to tell it like it is, hey. What are the questions? What is it? What does it do? How did it work? You know, I mean, that's, we just need a little bit of, you know, a little, little bit of a go and we can show you some really good stuff. And he's basically saying that he could use some help on Kickstarter and that is true. So go to kickstarter.com and check out Treason, just like a regular tree, T-R-E-E-S-O-N, the bottle that can save the planet. Totally cool, man. Totally cool. And and thank you very much for giving me a chance to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Up next, Shim of Gothel Games tells me all about Vikings and building the greatest fleet on the North Sea. Arg! Hello. Wow, that's a nice booming voice there, Shim. How's it going? <laughs> Good, how are you? Yeah, man, it's nice to meet you, man. You're really in New Zealand, huh? Yep, all the way down here. What's that, um, Shipwrights of the North Sea? Yeah, it's the one. Yeah, man, by uh, Garp Hill, is it? That's the name of your Garthel. game? How do you pronounce it? Garthel. What does Garthel mean? Uh, it's from my dad's name, Gary Phillips. That's cool, too, man. It's good to go back to your, your roots and stuff like that, man. Yeah. Welcome to DJ Grandpa's crib, man. Thank you. So how's Kickstarter treating you, man? The community, the backers? It's uh, a lot better than I thought would go, so it's amazing. Oh, serious? You were a little nervous? You were a little nervous and stuff? Well, I, I set that first goal of 8,000 thinking that I might I might make it if I'm lucky. Yeah. And then to, to make it in almost two days was just crazy. Those cards you have, the pictures, illustrations and stuff, those are way cool, man, with the Viking ships and stuff like that? Yeah, it's cool. Eh? <laughs> yeah, it is, <laughs> man. It is cool. I was like, man, I wish I wish I had that. Yeah, that, that is really nice, man. Who's your graphic artist? Uh, his name's Mahaldro Dmitrievsky from Macedonia. Okay. Yeah. All it's right. an international game. <laughs> Why don't you tell me what this game is actually about, man? I mean, I, I said Vikings, I said Nordic, but, you know, give me a blow-by-blow, blow, man. Blow-by-blow? Blow? Yeah. All right. The game is basically about building Viking ships, and the gameplay works that you are sort of collecting cards that might be ships, they might be tools or people. And then on your turn, you get to use all your collected cards and buy goods, that sort of thing, and collect all that you need to then buy your ship or build your ship. So each player is fighting for the same resources, fighting for the same people, the same craftsmen to try and help them build their ships. And there's a lot of interaction with, you know, uh, raiding and pillaging and all that kind of fun stuff that Vikings did. Oh, yeah. And then just... It just builds up and you, you sort of get a, a momentum going and then once it gets to four ships, it's game over and most points wins. From everything that I watched on the Kickstarter, it seems like this could be like a fast-paced game, you know, like moving around the board and stuff like that. Yeah, it's not like a real, real fast game, but it's uh, it's very involving. You don't get bored during it, so it's always players always doing something. Sounds like this game might be fun then. Is it fun? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. Okay, okay. Now, come on. You, I'm believing that you're a professional gamer now. Garp Hill. 
Gaffle. Gaffle. I never get that right, man. I'll never <laughs> get that. There's no malice in it. No malice in it. Okay. <laughs> Now, I'm believing that you're a professional gamer and you're talking about mechanics and everything like that and board play. And I'm believing that you had to have tested this game out on actual, not animals, but people. Definitely. What did they do? What they do? Yeah. They enjoyed it? Right. Okay. They didn't just like chuck the game on the floor and walk out of the room like, what is this? What are you trying to force <laughs> on me, dude? Nah, they didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what did they say? Come on, give me some commentary, man. It's been in the process for about two or three years now. Oh. For me, it's definitely my favorite game, and I've actually published newer games since then, oh, since developing this one. So right. I knew this game was good. I knew it needed more time to put. The art had to be right. Everything had to be perfect. So this is by far my best game. So anyone who knows my games will, will want this one for sure. Wow, that's cool, man. It took like two or three years. You didn't rush it because I'm starting to hear more stories on Kickstarter. You know, last year it felt like people were saying, we've been in development for like two or three years, you know, things mm. of that nature. And I'd be like, oh, that's a long time. But this year I'm starting to hear more stories of the six months, you know. Well, it took us six months and so it's like, hmm. Some games can come together quite fast, but then, yeah, then there's always room for error, I guess. What about your gaming company? Is it a family business? Is it just you? Is it? Yeah, it's just me. I've been doing it for about five years by myself. Obviously, mm-hmm. I've got friends around that help test games, but and uh, oh, my my brother he's illustrated a lot of my games, and also my my mum did one of my games, Plethora. You work with your mom too? Yeah, she's an artist as well. Do you guys get in like family squabbles or something like? You guys get pretty emotional, <laughs> testy over games because sometimes it's hard to work with family. <laughs> nah, I like my family, luckily. <laughs> man, you are a hard guy to rattle, man. <laughs> you're a hard guy to rattle. What gets to you then? What gets to me? I'm thinking, if you're doing a game about Vikings, I'm thinking that something must get to you. Because I'm not thinking of Vikings as a very, um, you know, we are the world type of bunch. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm thinking they get into trouble, they start trouble, all that sort of thing. And so I'm thinking you... You think I'm a Viking? <laughs> well, I mean, I think there could be a little bit in you, man. You tell me. Uh, <laughs> I, don't li- I don't like people that don't indicate. That's probably about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. <laughs> now, if you have to sell me on this game, like I'm not sold yet, man. I'm not sold yet. I, I do like the game, so I am sold, but but I'm like <laughs> pretending here, you know, 20 yeah. questions. What if I'm not sold yet, man? And I just want to know about you and your game, and I'd really like to check your Kickstarter out, but can you give me a little more? Something. That's, that's kind of cool, kind of cool. unique about it. I think Kiwis make games differently than others would, so there's definitely going to be something different about my game than the other thousands that are on the market. Right. It's got... You know, amazing artwork that you're really going to enjoy. There's about 46 different illustrations mm-hmm. on the cards, so it's really beautiful to look at. And the game is really involving. You're going to enjoy it. And it's you can replay it a lot and a lot because there's I've put in lots of different strategies and ways to gain points. So how's that? Oh, that's good, man. That's good. That's good? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> you are a fun guy, though, man. I can tell, man. I can tell. <laughs> You know, when I watched the video, the only thing that was missing to me was, like, your face. I kinda... Yeah, that's coming. That's coming. <laughs> that's coming. Okay, okay. Because that was the only thing. I watched both 
videos on the page and I was like I wish there was kind of a face to put to this not not the Viking well if you wear a Viking <laughs> hat now that would and you had mm. some sort of chalice or something I mean that would that would do it for me but oh, um, right. yeah but I was like I wish I really could see Shem's face man that would do it for me <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll see what I can do I appreciate it man because you you on Skype you look like a kind enough gentleman man so that's all I was really thinking I was like man I wish I could see Shem's face man on this game you know like on the video and if he had like on some viking garb and maybe if he had on a shield or two one of those breast shields you know with the fur on the side and like he and his brother ran into each other something or maybe his brother accused him of cutting him out on the artwork on this game because he shipped it over to (laughs) Macedonia or something like that (laughs) Yeah, what makes you passionate, dude? What makes me passionate? Yeah. About the game? Well, I mean... Or life in general. You said you've been working on this game for about two years or so. So, I mean, usually in the creative process, you kind of love something, you hate something, you love it, you hate it, you pick it up, you put it down, you know, you work on other things. So what brought you back to this game? I think when I first got to the point where it was almost ready to release, I was thinking that it's going to cost too much to do all the illustrations. That was my first thought. That's thousands of dollars of illustration work, and I, I don't have that kind of money. I thought maybe I'll send it off to another publisher. Right. And then I released Plethora by myself on a site kind of like Kickstarter, but it's just in New Zealand. Right. And then I realized, oh, I, I could do this myself. So, so it's always been one I wanted to publish, but then I, once I realized I could do it, it was all in. So it was kind of scary for you to not work with a publisher, number one, and mm. to go to crowdfunding. I remember doing plethora, and I, I don't think I slept for the whole month. You're just freaking out, hoping you make your target. So it's mm-hmm. nice this time around to reach the target and sleep again, so it's good. I think about 60 or 70% of these people that have backed me don't even know who I am, which is amazing. So my market before this was tiny, really. Okay. I think with my previous crowdfunding, there was a lot of friends that kind of gave sympathy pledges. You know, they want to help me, but they don't really want the game. They just want to help me. Pity pledges or something like that? Yeah. But this time around, it's like people want the game, so they're buying it. So, which is way better. It's way better. Oh, yes, that is way <laughs> better. You're right about that. Rather than going to your grandma and hoping that she'll give you some money and all that sort of thing. It's people who want your game are getting it, which is what you want anyway. Last question, last question. Would you like to thank your backers? Yeah, I just want to say thanks to everyone across the entire world, wherever you are. I know there's people over in islands and Europe and all sorts in Malaysia and everywhere that are backing me. So just thanks so much for believing in the game and, and putting your money there. And I just want to you know, promise you it's going to be amazing. I'm putting my very best effort into making everything perfect and all the pieces are going to be nice and pretty as we like them. And yeah, just thank you so much for for doing this because it's made a dream of mine come true and hopefully we can make this game better and better as the project continues as well. If there's anybody out there, Shipwrights of the North Sea by Shem, I tried to rattle him, but he wouldn't budge. I tried my best. He did, he did. So if you're out there and if you're on Kickstarter, you're driving by or whatever, you want to check out and see a cool Nordic, Viking type of game with very beautiful art. And he didn't use his brother this time for the (laughs) art. I don't know why that could have caused the family riff. But anyway, (laughs) 
Go to kickstarter.com and check out Shipwrights of the North Sea. Shem, thank you very much for coming on the show, man, and giving DJ Grandpa a chance to shake your hand. Thank you. Remember, we are the crowdfunding champion and we cover the globe. Hello, I'm Patrick of Applied Sunshine, and I've been working with the solar energy industry and trying to get it to power our lives for the past 12 years. I pulled a solar collector off of a rooftop uh, at, a, at a home here, and uh, I brought the, the solar collector down to my backyard. I started tinkering with it. You know, I'm kind of a do-it-yourselfer. And before long, I'd gone up to the refrigerator, pulled out some hot dogs, and fired them inside the tube. And next thing you know, I've got lunch. Hello, DJ Grandpa. You know, Hello, Patrick. Wow, hey, hey, what's happening? Okay, go sun. You guys did very well on Kickstarter. You're doing work. I see the press release with the UN, maybe doing a little tester pilot project in the South Americas or something like that. We were awarded a grant from the Global Alliance for Clean Cookstoves. It's funded by the United Nations Foundation. Yeah. Basically, over the next six months down in Guatemala, we've chosen a couple of uh, regions within Guatemala to uh, test out our technology and and kind of have a user participatory design research process conducted where the Guatemalans really get a chance to let us know what they see from our technology and how it could be appropriately adopted there. I've asked you this before, but it's been a while, so I want to remind people, how long has it taken you to get from, you know, idea conceptualization to actually where you're hiring people? You're actually doing stuff. You're actually, you know, doing work on other continents now. I originally came up with the idea about 10 years ago. I wasn't working on it very heavily, you know, until about three years ago. You know, three years ago, I thought, you know, I could have a real business out of this, and I really want to take this to people that need it. And it literally has taken, you know, the majority of those three years to get to this point. As I heard an interesting piece on NPR, I think it was Ira Glass, Mm -hmm. mentioning that, you know, you just really can't give up, you know, anybody in the creative work, uh, entrepreneur, artist. You know, they have this vision and they have this conviction. And, you know, the first, you know, several years or, or first several times you produce a painting, it's not right. And you know it's not right. And a lot of people give up. You know, you just kind of have to stay true to your guns and keep pushing for it. This is the second time I've had those exact words today about you can't give up your dream or your mission. But Ira didn't call and tell me that. Someone else over the phone. (laughs) (laughs) They were saying the exact same thing that you said about your dreams and all that. And what I say is that, you know, you have a dream. If you give up, there's no way you can win. There's no probability. There's no mathematics that makes that work. (laughs) That's absolutely right. Right. But if you try, you at least have a probability of making it. And the thing I would just like say to you with all my heart is that most everybody I know who does interesting creative work, they went through a phase of years where they had really good taste, they could tell what they were making wasn't as good as they wanted it to be. They knew it felt short. It didn't have this special thing that we wanted it to have. And the thing I would say to you is everybody goes through that. You can almost hear the violin in the background. You know, (laughs) that romantic story. Oh, he had to cross the valley of darkness before he saw the light, (laughs) you know. And there's a lot to it. Uh, nobody gets success uh, you know, with a, a good idea and, and just pushing the button go. You know, that button takes about three years to push. You know, at NPR, we used to call that another driveway moment. 
Except when I was driving the show, I used to call it another drive-by moment because <laughs> because I was a jerk. <laughs> get down, get down. Let's get back to you, man, because really, people really want to hear about you and, and the ghost son. And if we didn't explain it properly, it's a solar oven. And Patrick and I, we mentioned, well, he mainly mentions, but he brought it to my attention that there are a lot of people who die in the developing world each year, every year, women, children, mostly, I believe, because they cook with fossil fuels and they cook with these fossil fuels or wood or something inside the house. And the smoke is very unhealthy for people, these individuals. And so families die that way. But with his product, The Ghost Sun, it's solar. You don't have to worry about the carcinogens as far as that. Am I, am I close at all, Patrick? You know, when you're burning wood or charcoal indoors, right. that smoke is going to find its way, especially amongst little guys, little children. You know, they, they get a case of pneumonia or something they can't cure. They can't get over it. That's really something that hasn't been well discovered or well documented until recently. Numbers that are, you know, as much as 4 million deaths a year. These are wow. preventable deaths. That's a number higher than malaria. There's other issues that come along with cooking with wood and charcoal in addition to the health issues. I mean, biggest one is essentially your your allocation of resources, be it money or time, to you know gather the wood. In many cases, you're spending as much money on the charcoal or the firewood as you are the beans or the rice that you're cooking. Sometimes even more money on the fuel. And you just reminded me of another issue. Usually women do a lot of this work and it puts them at risk as far as male attackers, rape, things of that nature. That's very important also to mention. In some rural areas, women are spending as much as 50 hours a week just gathering firewood. Right. I mean, that's a full-time job. You know, it's, it's really challenging on their bodies. And, you know, imagine if you could prevent the majority of those trips and allow them to pick up a book or take care of the kids or the garden. The opportunities that begin to grow to sort of break the cycle of poverty are really boundless with this type of uh, solution. So you really think it could break the cycle of poverty, what you're working on? You know, what I'm up against is not necessarily an issue regarding the technology that we're dealing with or the performance of our technology. It's more of an issue of the cultural and social implications. You know, cultural adoption is what we're calling it. You know, can you actually turn these women on to our product and create an appropriate value proposition that puts them in a point of desiring our product to cook their food? You know, does it prepare food as quickly? Does it taste as well? Can they see and stir the food like they're used to? Can they create their traditional dishes? You know, do the men support the women in their decisions to spend some of the family's money on a go-sun stove. Are you going to be able to solve these? Is, is that what the money from the UN is for? To It's such perfect timing to receive this grant for this pilot study because those are precisely the questions that we're trying to answer. We'll do some of those through changes with our technology and as I mentioned, like a participatory design process where they're literally hands-on with our technology, kind of using it and figuring out what works for them. And then we'll also be surveying the women and men and and figuring out what would work for them, how could we attract them. And then finally, we'll be 
developing more of um, a business end to it to where we can line up microfinancing and distribution partners in Guatemala, for example, to um, help basically subsidize the cost of our stove so that the family in need who you know doesn't have a whole lot of cash can purchase it, say, $50 instead of the $100 that it's worth. So you're trying to create a sustainable business, one, but you're also trying to deal with the market forces of said country so that it's affordable for them. We're basically going to have like a two-part business. You know, one will be operating in, in these international markets that are more of these developing world markets where we don't have much of a profit margin, right. but we have a high volume business, you know, because basically if it works there, it'll work times millions of people. Whereas here, here in the developed world, we have a higher profit margin and a much lower volume. And then we also look at taking a little bit of our the revenue that we generate in the developed world and helping that to fuel these efforts of empowerment. What would you like to say to your backers since you, you've done so well on Kickstarter? We can't thank our backers enough. We are super psyched to you know continue to uh, work with our backers, serve our backers, and uh, learn from our backers as time goes on. We were completely overwhelmed with the response on Kickstarter. Yeah, it was big. Yeah, five hundred percent over our goal, and you know we're we're a small team that were previously working basically in a garage on this. You know, I hope that they understand that uh, we are really you know growing and stepping it up to serve them, and we're not taking our eyes off of that focus. You know, right. even though a lot of them might hear about work that we're doing in Guatemala and Haiti and all these other places. And the reality is, again, I'm quite confident that they'll uh, be pleased. We're here talking about new business, and they may be listening and saying, but what about my ghost <laughs> son? Where is my ghost son? We're talking about third world, but I understand now. I didn't think about that for a second, but that is true. Okay, well, do you have anything else to bloody the waters? Like to, to, to tell them like any other new stuff you got going on, any new products, any new developments that they're not getting yet? Yeah, we, we are. Um, <laughs> you know, I, can't, I can't stop tinkering, DJ Grandpa. My whole life is, uh, it revolves around coming up with cool green solutions. And um, I managed to find some larger tubes and um, we've built several prototypes now around a much bigger tube. So, you know, that's something that I'm that I'm really passionate about and I will continue to come up with uh with new designs and models and so we can fill out a, a product line that extends from a mini to a mighty. And um we're looking at using the Ghost on Mighty in Guatemala as a part of the pilot study because we figured that a larger tube is going to be essential for a family that's, you know, got eight mouths to feed. What would they call it in their culture? It wouldn't be called Mighty, right? It'd be like the... Bastante. Oh, Bastante! The Gosan <laughs> Bastante! Oh, it's great. <laughs> it's great, man. No, you're, you're the perfect fit for this action. You know, you, you, you son Sport, which was the one that we sold on Kickstarter. Oh, right. You know, that's only producing a couple pounds of food at a time. Right. You know, so you and the wife... Boom, good to go. But if you want to feed all the children, well, you've, you've got to go ahead with um, you know, the Ghost Sun Mighty and make eight pounds of food at once. Patrick, thank you very much. If, now, if people want to check out your, you know, your, your Mighty and your, and your Nina one, 
Where do we go to GoSun.com or something like that? It's uh, GoSunStove.com. GoSunStove.com. Thanks so much, DJ Grandpa. You know, I'd like to wrap up this week's show by sending out a special birthday announcement to my daughter, Molly, who turns 12 today. Happy birthday, dude. I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's crib. Thanks to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Zach Samal, our assistant editors. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcast is A.F. Rufus. 